Hey everybody, I'm Kevin. I'm Kayla. We love movies. And talking about them. This is The Martini Window. With us today, we have, with such credits as, a personal favorite of mine called Girl Gone Bad, a DOP slash editor, Mr. James Clark. James, thank you for coming up to the show today. Hey Kevin, hey Kayla, thanks for having me out. James here is calling us from Melbourne, Australia at the moment. James, want to tell a little bit about yourself? Sure, Kevin and I were put together our movie, Girl Gone Bad, and that was after a, a series of other shorts and projects that we'd worked on together. I'd been working in the film industry. We met on the set <laughs> of Arrow way back on season four. And since then, we just discovered we had very similar interests in, in projecting our movies <laughs> and getting, um, you know, pushing ourselves in our quality. And so we formed our little team and started um, producing stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. We actually have Giovanna Morales Vargas, our producer from Girl Gone Bad, on an episode coming up. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll let her know how this all went. So today we are talking about a movie that came out last year that was supposed to come out the year before that, which was supposed to come out the year before that. Then there was this little thing that happened in the world where uh, the whole world shut down with only 25% of this movie made. So we are talking about the movie that not only finally got finished, but in my opinion, this is a personal opinion, uh, this is the best of its character. We're talking about 2022's The Batman. Ah, uh, James <laughs> brought this movie forward with us uh, to discuss in this episode. James, you want to start us off? Sure, yeah. As a huge Batman fan, I was eagerly awaiting the anticipation of the release of this film. Um, following it uh, somewhat closely and hearing, you know, production issues and COVID and even just having Matt Come Reeves on. take it on. Knowing what he did with you know the Planet of the Apes series, um, yeah, I was a yeah. big fan of the quality of the of those movies. Incredible movies, um, yeah, yeah, fantastic. And so, yeah, knowing that he was going to go, yeah, I'm going to bring it back to a noir detective story, and have that sort of element of you know the slow paced noir thriller was got me excited because that's what we'd be needing out of a Batman movie. I was even excited at the prospect of Ben Affleck writing and directing and starring in his own sort of movie which you know he ended up walking away from that project but yeah um, yeah. yeah i was i was eager to see what he would have come up with and and kind of imagine he would have come up with something very very similar well apparently uh ben affleck's batman movie the primary story would have had to have done with deathstroke going after everybody in bruce wayne's life right oh, yeah yeah, that yeah that's right they different. teased that at the end yeah. of justice league right yeah they did with uh, joe Manganiello. And that would have been, I mean, I would have loved to have seen that because Deathstroke's such a cool character as well to pit against oh. Batman. Oh, absolutely. When I uh, when I saw this movie, it reminded me a little of one of the animated Batman movies, Gotham by Gaslight. I mean, apart from the steampunk and being in a different time, it had yeah. a lot more of that like noir, like fog in the streets, like anyone could grab you at any time kind of feel like the, yeah. the, the vibe yeah. of the city felt like Gotham, Gotham by Gaslight, but in the future. It felt seedy. It felt properly yeah. seedy, right? Like exactly. I, I think that is, even as a big Tim Burton fan, I, I love the Michael Keaton uh, mm -hmm. Batman movies, but that was my favorite iteration of Gotham. I just, something about it felt like a proper lived-in city. It felt real. It felt... Um, Gritty. It felt real, but with character in a way that, uh, as much as I love the Nolan movies, I never felt that the design of Gotham in and of itself was anything really highlighted. Um, no, like like the Nolan movies, I feel like it just felt like Chicago. Like it didn't look like another city. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're right. Like, yeah. It really just felt like Chicago, and you know, clean, totally with how people were Too dressed clean. and the way they showed the city with yeah. reflective, shiny buildings. Yeah, more highlighted. When yeah. some of the first things you're seeing in this movie, I, you know, I, I love the opening sequence of the Riddler. One thing I love about um, the Batman is exactly this. You have this whole opening sequence with the Riddler, which is something right out of like a David Fincher movie. Like this is a scene you mm. do the wit scene in Zodiac. And what I love about it is a lot of these movies would have, I'm a big horror fan. And this is a lot of this movie was horror filmmaking 101 yeah. uh, in the Batman. And the first scene is a good example. You got the spy cam looking on the, uh, looking on the rich, rich dude, the politician inside his house. You got the, you know, the kid gets put away. And then when you see inside the house and just the fact that when he walks by, um, they don't do a whole thing where they try to show him moving in the shadows or anything. They just show him right behind the guy. They show the Riddler right behind the guy on his phone without any knowledge whatsoever. And something about that is so bone chilling and set and sets up the it's so bone chilling and it sets up the story so well, but like the intensity of the situation. Like mm. and what I love is you don't see this in superhero movies a lot, but just actually seeing him just nail the guy over and over with the uh what the hell is that tool he used in the opening scene? Uh, uh, you know, like a, a paint a, chipper. What they Oh, that was a shovel or something. It was or something like that. It was a carpentry yeah. tool, like a carpet yeah. carpentry. And to go from that and to lead from that into your first introduction of Batman, which is this, you know, excellently scored. You know, the Michael Gacknell's soundtrack in this movie is next level, in my opinion. Combine it with uh, yeah. combine it with Greg Fraser's visuals and holy crap! But like we have this old build up to that moment where you actually have Batman coming out and. Of all the things that you can see when the bat signal comes up, he's walking through, of all things, a subway station where some guys are beating up one old man. And it's like just the way that they built all that up just for that fall moment where now Batman's beating the pulp out of somebody. And it's like I, I just I just love it because it kind of creates a parallel right from the get-go of what you're seeing between these two. I actually find yeah, with oh, those yeah, 100%. two I actually find with those two scenes, the way the music works in both of them, the score really builds up. Because when you start the scene where you're introduced to the Riddler, you just hear the duct tape to start with. It actually yeah. plays with sound really well. And then by the time you get to Batman, oh, they use Ave Maria. You more. They use Ave Maria in the Riddler scene. Remember that? Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. yeah, throughout the whole thing. And if you, if you listen to Michael Giacchino's score, he's using a lot of the same chord progressions of uh, Ave Maria. We just had an episode with uh, the composer of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. So I've been hearing a lot about the mixture of music and like narrative right now. So it's all in my mind. So it's right, 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 right. Um, yeah, yeah. There was, there was so, only uh, like I, I love the tempo at which they gave. Um, you know, it matched his footsteps walking through the the train station. So it was just, and it set the actual pace of the movie as well. That this was going to be a slow, methodical stepping through the acts and things like that. The only yeah. place I feel like they actually should have changed the score was in the sort of final scene at the in Gotham Square. Uh, I feel like they should have actually upped the tempo of the music because they maintain the same score when it's actually a lot more of an action beat. Uh, you know, he's kicking ass, he's taking names, he's taking all these guys down very, very quickly. Uh, and it's, you know, and it, and he has those intense moments, but like, yeah, it, I felt like that was the only time that the score didn't work for me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I can see what you're saying, I suppose, yeah, and that does kind of kill cut the action a lot more. That last, you're talking about like the last climactic sequence, right? With the, uh, yeah, with, with the, the ocean, with the, the, the everyone's all, the... yeah, in yeah, in that stadium, yeah. and um, you know, all the guys are up the top. Yeah, they just played the same score, and I'm like, ah, it worked everywhere else, but now we want we want a little bit more action, a little bit more, you know, fast paced stuff. 
because even during the yeah, action like, sequences, the music wasn't over the top. It wasn't, you know, we had a lot more diegetics and then it was a little bit quiet. Oh, there's a little bit of score in here. But it was like, you know, scene appropriate. I will say I, I loved the fight sequences in this movie, though. I, I oh, loved yeah, just the groundedness of it, but like still had a level of finesse to it. Um, you know, it's a, it was a good way to separate itself from the Nolan movies. Uh, the Nolan movies, again, love the movies, but, you know, it's going to be impossible to talk about this movie without comparing it. Of course, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, when you see those movies, like his version of grounded fighting in the Nolan era was just very brutish, just punches and kicks and all that. What I loved about this one is the the fighting had a little bit more flair to it, not to the level of, let's mm. say, like Ben Affleck and Batman versus Superman, but it had a little bit yeah. more flair to it. But you felt the hits. You felt the brunts to everything. You know what I mean? Like oh, you, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. There was power behind it all. And Robert Pattinson sold so much of that. And I got to say, man, that was my favorite Batman to ever grace the screen. I don't care what anyone who hears this thinks. Oh, Mr. Yeah. Ben Galloway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, also, yeah. I also really appreciated that this was year one Batman. Like, we didn't yes. quite have Playboy Bruce Wayne yet. He hadn't quite learned to, you know, put his own mental um, stuff aside to mm. put on that character. So, yeah. I, I I just found it very interesting where because we're starting when he's at his lowest, I'm actually very excited to see how he progresses because it's not like a flashback. It's you're developing with him. Yeah. 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 yeah I mean, I, the way he played this. Oh, sorry. Go on, James. I was going to say, yeah, I, I, I agree too. like the fact that he's he's in that early stages of developing the Batman, what he can do for the city, uh, that he's completely forgotten and disregarded Bruce Wayne because he doesn't want to be Bruce Wayne because he has to feel. But also, yeah. he hasn't understood his duality, and but they they reflect his duality in the movie by the way he interacts with the police. Oh. So the opening scene, he's walking through, and Martinez says, "Hey, hey, hey, what are you doing here? Who can't let him in?" And then yeah. when they're at the funeral scene, he's like, "Hey, Bruce Wayne," you know, the he that yeah. they're reflecting his duality to him, and he hasn't understood that quite yet. And I love that. Yeah, which. By the way, I love the fact that we were able to see a Batman movie with police treating this very respectfully. Like, mm. I, I, there's a whole thing with Batman content in the past. I, sorry, I shouldn't use the word content, but there's Batman movies and TV shows in the past where the police have almost a reliance on Batman. It was nice to finally see a movie where right from the get-go, you can already see that Gordon's the only one on his side. And people yeah. calling it for what it is. He is. He is a vigilante with a mask on. They don't even know if this guy's the one killing the people. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He actually makes a very good point. It's a point that I I feel it's a it's a it's a point in rebel things I feel this movie makes a lot of good ones of. Like, um, how is it that you know they've always said Bruce Wayne could do more good as Bruce Wayne than he could as Batman? And you know that's something people have always said about Batman. Well, here's a movie actually looking at that fact. Yeah, yeah, like, right. The work even the mayor just Wayne. challenges him in that. Yeah, yeah, and I love that, and I love that. You know, your your villain in this is somebody who became a victim of the system, mm. um, with uh with the Riddler. But his his anger seems to be so uh well focused towards the one percent until you get to the end of the movie and when he starts attacking the rest of Gotham, it was never about the one percent. He was using that as a scapegoat for his own aggression. Mm. Yeah, oh, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because at the end, he's killing everybody. He's flooding the whole city. Yeah, yeah, he and that's right. Me. Like he's allowed it. He's allowed all his his anger to build up, and yeah, it's it's focused on the one percent. But then you know he's just like the rest of the city can just burn as well, and he's just consumed by his anger at that point. 
he may have started with just being angry at the one percent. Yeah. But it's where he ended up was not where his I think his ideals he thought they would take him. Yeah, I mean he's basically an incel, right? Like he that's kinda how they just that's kinda how they designed him. And how's yeah. that always go? You know, you get these incel people starting to make uh the attacks on certain other women, certain other entities, all that, but it always starts from some sort of like Oh, it's me against the system, even though it's wrongly placed anger in their case. But that's clearly what they're trying to base the Riddler off of, right down to like how he talks on the internet stream with all the other extremists. <laughs> like, yeah. that's yeah. That, that's not by coincidence. No, no, it's it's he's a well designed character, and I like, you know, he's very much that Unabomber. I have a manifesto. I have a following, and you know, um, yeah, uses like the, the current sort of way in which you know we can use technology but also social media to to you know capture an audience and get a voice yeah. beyond himself what's crazy to me is that this movie actually tackled a lot of the same kind of themes that dark knight rises was trying to tackle uh about classes of yeah. um, the divide and all that but I, I couldn't help but feel this one a was far more realistic to me um mm. you know bell bell the idea that bella reeve or Bella Riel has to uh, become mayor because if she doesn't become mayor, the you know the fund is going to keep going, and we all know that the politicians of Gotham are never going to stop this fund, right? Yeah, um, yeah, or stop the abuse of it. And it's like it comes from a very white collar drama kind of sense, which is funny to think about when we're talking about a freaking Batman movie because mm. all the corruption here—it's all about financial corruption and the way this could have helped people but didn't by the same people who are supposed to be helping people. And it's like it's why I'm saying I don't think I've ever seen a movie actually address that whole could you do more help as Bruce Wayne than as Batman, right? Could you go out and beat up the guy in the streets who goes to jail, or can you spend a million dollars to help a whole bunch of kids so a bunch of them don't end up in jail in the future? Yeah. You know, it's... Well, exactly right, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you really don't see movies that kind of say that, or a lot of Batman um, programs that say that, like uh, Andy Serkis as uh, Alfred, a fantastic Alfred, mind you. Oh, he Andy was, Serkis, yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoyed him. Loved it. It was a new take on Alfred. We don't often get to see in the movies. I love that he did. He wasn't always taking Bruce's shit. Um, yep. yeah, he he had that kind of fatherly mentality about him. But he was one of those people who saw that. He knew what that what he could do as Bruce was bigger than what he could do as Batman. But that doesn't stop him from helping his Batman stuff, like the code breaking and stuff like that, which was also awesome to see. Because yeah, he was a freaking code breaker back in the military. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Awesome to see that stuff get flexed in uh in a Batman movie. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like, I mean, if you you take you know Batman versus Superman in comparison as to how you know Batman and Alfred work together in that, but it was just you know it's just so much more of a, a set piece for action versus the relationship and then the their dynamics and then the 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 fathering and the mentoring that Alfred had to do over the years, and then even just you know addressing the fact that Alfred is his closest friend and ally. He's he's shut everyone else out. He's a recluse. He doesn't have anyone else that he's turning to for help. And then when he that's threatened, you know, like he's he's almost taken down a notch. And, you know, he you know, that's his ultimate fear and that's what he doesn't want to ever really feel again. And so I think that's also what keeps him at, everyone else at arm's length for for Batman is you know, he doesn't want, that's his ultimate fear is, is, is losing someone he cares about. Yeah. Which is why he ends up like booking it right back to Wayne Manor when he realizes Alfred's in trouble, like faster yeah. than I think I saw him for anybody else in that movie. Yeah. 
Yeah. True. And I love the way they played that sequence too. You know, the phone ringing, him, you know, going through the motions and then, but no, you're too late. This happened an hour ago, you know. Oh my um, God. And I love this because was, Kayla and I were talking earlier about, uh, talking earlier about this sort of thing. Like uh, Watchmen was something we were talking about. How, um, uh, have you ever read or watched Watchmen? I did, but many years ago, I haven't gotten around to watching it again. And I did start so, to read, reread the comics, but yeah. Yeah, before I ever saw the movie, I read the graphic novel, and I remember the first time reading the graphic novel, and when that scene comes up, or uh, spoilers for Watchmen, or that scene comes <laughs> up where um, they're at Antarctica, and Ozymandias says, "I've set the, I've set a, uh, I've set uh, something in action that's going to kill so many people, blah, blah blah, but the world will finally come together." And it's like, "We'll never let you set off that, uh, set off that switch." And he just says, "Excuse me, I'm not some spy movie level villain. I set it off 27 minutes ago." And it's just like <laughs> that kind of like your stomach just drops at that moment when you realize what, the brevity of what he just said, right? So going yeah, yeah, into yeah. Uh, Batman, I got that similar feeling in the theater when you clue it all together and you realize what just happened. And the moment she says, Bruce, it already like, oh my God, I felt it in my Dude. stomach right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, just the timing. Yeah, the the editing in that was just perfect, you know, and then. They, you know, showed the action of, you know, people walking around the house and it was just, ah, it, it played so nicely that it just hit, they hit the mark on that one. Yeah. Very interesting choices too in the movie to have the villain get caught with almost an entire act left in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it, yeah, yeah, it set up the fact that, well, you know, I'm just a pawn in this myself. I've, you know, this is where I plan to be um, so that you're distracted. You're going to be here talking with me while the rest of my action plays out. Yeah. And it just, you know, goes to, you know, you know, as a chess player, you know, um, uh, in that sort of sense that Riddler and Batman are in a, in a giant chess match and Gotham City is the, is the board, um, you know, he's already thought out all the steps and, you know, Batman's trying to like work it all out. Um, and, and even the, the, that, that scene where like, he's just like, Bruce Wayne and Bruce is feeling like seen and then he realizes that oh he actually doesn't know who I am he hasn't figured that out you know I just love the simplicity of you know even how they shot that just using that shadow hiding there so it's like yeah you uh, you kind of already know who I am so he's hiding in that shadow to not be present but then he's like oh you haven't figured it out all right I've gone a little bit more you know um yeah you know yeah what is it more to reveal that's good Robert Pattinson's body language in that scene is impeccable. He yeah. has these small micro movements that tell you everything about what he's thinking in that Batman suit in that scene with him and uh, him and Riddler. And oh, he, uh, he's, his whole action was all through his eyes. He acted through his eyes throughout the whole movie. Well, I thought the way he carried himself did a lot to separate himself from previous Batman. Like you tell this was on a Playboy, just in the way he carries himself around uh, around Selina Kyle, even right. Mm. Which, yeah. by the way, once again, the casting in this movie top down is remarkable. Oh, I, yeah. Uh, I love Zoe Kravitz as Selena Kyle. Her chemistry with Robert Pattinson through the roof. Um, yeah. She was a perfect Catwoman. Oh, my God. She absolutely. Was, she was sensual. Her movements, like, felt very feline. Yeah. Just the way she moved, the way, like, and, and the way she chose to say oh. things, she definitely came across as, as that. And I'm actually going to pivot very quickly back to something you said about the Riddler, the the Riddler. I also think with the Riddler, at least 
like 10% or 15% of it was about ego. I think he got, oh, yeah. I, I also feel like he got caught because he wanted Batman to know it was him yeah. and that Batman couldn't stop it. Even with him in jail, it was a power play. Right. Mm. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. It's a, yeah. You've, you've already caught me, but you can't stop my plan because there's millions of us. Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm totally with you on that. And I mean, it, that's what I'm saying is that this started off for the Riddler Edward Nashton, as they call him in, in this movie, not Digma. Um, no, yeah, yeah. Edward Nashton in this movie. He, that's just, that's just it. Like he, he's, he's somebody who capitalizes off a singular vision, and that's never exactly what he was set to do. And I mean, that's that's popular. That's populism, right? Like that's literally the entire world leaders get elected this way right now. Like this guy sells sells a singular vision. You know, fuck one percent. I really shouldn't swear that much in the show, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then it's clearly more than that because he's trying to kill the rest of Gotham. He's trying to kill the exact people he's trying to say are being disheartened by the one percent and by the government. Um, some stuff I thought was fascinating in that. I thought it was really cool opening up a uh, a whole conspiracy about Martha Wayne as Martha Arkham. Yeah, yeah that right. Was... That was that a thing in the comics? I don't know if that was. I've never heard of that that sort of storyline. Um, it's, it's not too often that you hear about Martha Kent, you know, in alternative comic, comic options. I've only yeah, Martha, heard Martha of, Wayne. You know, uh, yeah, Martha Wayne. Um, you know, like you've always heard of Thomas Wayne as the alternative Batman in you know other yeah. other uh, alternative um, universes and stuff like that. But yeah, never really uh, targeted Martha Wayne. So that was that's a, actually a nice not sort true. Of, uh, she became the it, Joker. Dude. Yeah, in Flashpoint Paradox, she was the Joker. Oh, okay, right. In a, in a world where Thomas Wayne became Batman after his son got killed, that was the same thing that turned Martha into the Joker. Right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. actually, in the animated Flashpoint Paradox uh, adaptation, which is a fantastic animated movie, by the way, uh, there's a scene in there where it shows that, and the way they kind of hit towards that, the only part of it you see throughout the whole thing is uh, uh, Barry Allen says to Thomas Wayne, what happened to your wife? He goes, my wife and it cuts back to like the night that uh in this case bruce wayne got shot and killed you see him uh and you see a bloody bruce wayne in martha wayne's arms and she's crying she starts crying she goes <laughs> and all of a sudden you start hearing the cry and go <laughs> and then she looks up yeah. and bruce's blood has formed like the smile on her face yeah right wow yeah yeah okay i really wish there was some uh, movie or something taking place in that universe. I really want to see more of that version of Joker. That would have been very yeah, right. Martha yeah, Wayne yeah. Joker. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been fantastic. I do like, like you said, with them tying it to Arkham because, and I may be wrong, but this might have been pulled for a, a Batman comic or an animated show that I haven't read and feel free to correct us if we're wrong, guys. Um, but I love that they're tying Batman more inherently to Arkham because like Arkham is so tied to the Batman story. Yeah. Actually mm. having his mother be related to the like, Arkham family. Yeah, yeah. It just gives yeah, like yeah, yeah. a closer connection to something that is already such a prevalent prevalent storytelling device within Batman lore. Also it just shows how much of a silver spoon this kid had. And actually <laughs> speaking speaking of the silver spoon I thought one of the interesting things that popped up when he went to the orphanage, everyone is like, oh, poor Bruce Wayne. And, you know, the 
news articles and about how horrible it was for Bruce Wayne. He wasn't even thinking about the orphanage that shut down. He wasn't the only orphan and they didn't have money. Yeah. Mm. And I thought that was very interesting because it, it is played as a storytelling note where it's a horrible thing that happened to him. But then they also play it from a perspective of realizing his own privilege in that other people had something similar happen and they didn't have money to get them through. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. And um, yeah, it just really drew that parallel between, yeah, Bruce Wayne and, and giving Riddler that kind of backstory just, you know, made them more of like, well, here's two sides of the, of the fence where you can see, okay, how money is affected and how not having money is affected. This is, you know, people. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, one thing I got to say about this movie is, um, this is by a wide margin and people are going to think I'm kind of just being overly kind about it, but I'm not kidding here. Roger Deakins agrees with me. This was by a wide margin. Some of the best cinematography I've seen in years for a dramatic film. And, uh, when I say Roger Deakins agrees with me is because he, he made the statement That's himself right. that, uh, the Oscars was not celebrating the best cinematographer that year, which was the Batman. Great percent. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, like, shot there was so the many, water. so many devices. There, oh, there was so, so many, so many things in, in, you know, that they use in the movie, particularly, I love the color palette. It looked like it was ripped straight out of a comic. Like, yeah. Frank, Frank Miller's year one. Um, just the use of black and white and then just the highlight of, you know, the tungsten or the blue or the red. And yeah. it just, it just set that tone so nicely. And it was, you know, mostly, you know, a lot of night shots. It was always raining, which just looks, you know, just adds that extra level of just, ugh, you know, to the It was to that really heavy, like the sort of rain you'd see in a movie like Heat or the uh, yeah. rain you'd see in a movie like, uh, like, a, like a proper Fincher film and those... Last, exactly. in the last scene of a climax like it had that nice cinematic rain and I know I sound like probably a bit stupid saying that the way I'm saying it but I mean what I'm saying here it felt yeah. properly like it felt properly lit it felt properly like a crime movie like you watch in the 1990s or the early 2000s you know what mm. I mean like it yeah, felt yeah. so nice that way and we keep saying Fincher over and over but I really like there's no, not a lot of better ways to say it and I think Greg Fraser knew that. And to see him use something like uh, Greg Fraser was the one who uh, basically, I'm not going to say invented, but he is the one that popularized the Mandalorian tech that we now refer to as the volume, right? Yeah, so yeah, uh, yeah. he was the DLP. Yeah, he was the DLP on Mandalorian who brought forth the volume. So, of course, bringing that into a movie like Batman, especially when uh, the movie just before that was Dune, which is all open locations, stuff like that. Doing a movie like the Batman, it's freaking seamless i am trying so often to see it but greg Same. fraser proves time and time again that he's like one of the few major cinematographers who's understood how to use this technology yeah 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 like during the whole um uh car sequence like the, i i know they use that you know for all the close-ups but like the way he shot it uh you know so it's just so so tight in the character and probably even some of the shots where you know like the explosions are going off in the background that was probably all you know um, playback or something perhaps as well but yeah. you know they're just yeah as you say seamless I, I was like okay where's where have they used it like okay they would have used it not I kind of couldn't even tell because of the way they they use the angles the way they edited it um, cut it all together it was a seamless stitch but it was the, the rooftop scenes yeah. I was, the, I was yeah. going to say it's the rooftop scenes that you, you can really see the power of the, the volume tech where it's like Thumb. it's casting half uh. the light um 
onto the characters and it's giving yeah. a level of immersion um, that you just can't get from a green screen um, and, and lighting. It's just like, no, you've got that reflective um, surface and you've got all that, you know, volumetric display that just, you know, yeah, it was gorgeous. I mean, the ability to have it, that, that aspect of interactive light is so important when it comes to immersion of any sort of post-production process. Like, you know, the amount of green screen stuff you see where somebody will be driving a car, standing on a tree, like, as, you know, the classic ones is always a guy standing on top of a car while it's driving and they're going to use a green screen to fake this. And, you know, they, uh, they don't, they consider things like wind. What they don't consider is the way that the environment lights something. They don't consider the way exactly. that you're going to see shadows from that odd, you know, you're going to see a quick shadow pass by from that odd uh, light post or that, you know what I mean? And what yeah. I think is that the volume really kind of helps solve a lot of these issues for the reasons that you're talking about. Like if the, Im the, the imagery around that will cause its own residual atmospheric light, it will add to the environment. Now, in some circumstances and certain shows and movies, I'm not going to name, they don't uh, really fully understand this and they let the volume just be the set when in reality it's supposed to be a tool to increase the set's appeal and scope. yes like a yeah, yeah increase the scope or suddenly you can go into the sound stage you could turn this uh you can get a few fire pits and build just like three four shacks with some people uh some people serving drinks put it in the volume and now suddenly you're inside of a giant luau in hawaii but you still have to remember mm. That the environment of the ocean over there is going to have its own reflection coming off of it. You got to remember how the negative is going to come from the trees on the right. Like, yeah. And these are the things I think a lot of people tend to forget when they're using the volume, something that Greg Fraser most certainly does not. Yeah. 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 And it's about depth. Like, you, you create layers in front and then you just use it just to fill that element um, in the background. Um, you know, like, like, yeah, the way they, you know, simple technique of, um, uh, Falcone's headquarters, you know, they just a, a simple rounded wi windows, but then they have, you know, the rain on there and they have other layers, but it's just, yeah, very simple backdrop of, of the city and cars just traveling over a bridge and stuff like that. I think you also hit that nail on the head with the action sequences as well, James, like with the, with the car chase scene with Penguin. When you have Penguin's car flip and you just see Batman coming from him from an angle where he's already like trapped sideways in his car. One of uses, the best shots yeah. in the movie. Yeah, he uses yeah. so many creative ways to tie in what's going yeah. on so you're not, you don't even have a moment to even look at where the volume is. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of that comes down to Matt Reeves' direction too. Like that guy, that guy knows how to fill a scene and knows how to not bore you. I mean, you're talking about a dude whose first first movie directing ever was Cloverfield. Like, right? Is uh, <laughs> you know, he went he went from Cloverfield to Let Me In to the Apes to the last two movies in the Apes trilogy to The Batman. Like, right. that is a hell of a filmography. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I know we have no influence over this, but in my personal opinion, I feel like the best Robin suited for this universe is Jason Todd. Oh, easy, oh, yeah. Without yeah, question. Yeah. Out of all of the Robins, yeah. I think Jason Todd would fit a sequel really well. Oh, yeah. If they, if they are planning on bringing Robin into this universe, Jason Todd would be the way to go. You can get him trying to hijack a car or something. It's fitting in both cars. No, he needs to steal the hubs off yeah. the cat of the back. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what he did. He was stealing the hubs off the back. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's classic. I mean, of all storylines that I'd really love to see and that I feel would actually suit 
um, this would be like the Hush series. Bring in like yes. Thomas Elliot and, you know, add, you know, keep Catwoman in there. And then I also want, really, really want to see a cinematic Clayface. Yes. You know, it might Michael, not suit this universe, uh, but Mike Flanagan's mm. been really wanting to do that. Oh, yeah? Mike Flanagan's been talking about that. He really wants to do a uh, Clayface movie in the Matt Reeves universe. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens because now with uh, we got the Batman, then we got Brave and the Bold uh, that's happening now. That's just as of this recording, two yeah. days ago, it was announced that Andy Muschietti, director of It, It Chapter 2, and The Flash will be directing Batman Brave and the Bold. Oh, um, right, um, yeah, it just got announced the other day. So now that we have these two movies coming out, my whole mindset is uh, that the DC Elseworlds Batman is likely going to go a lot darker. Now, some might not think that however the penguin spinoff series that's coming out with uh colin farrell looking and sounding nothing like colin farrell (laughs) the best transformation ever i I gotta say though man i love colin farrell but at what point do you think it would have been easier just to cast a different actor (laughs) i I love colin farrell man but yeah yeah i don't know i I think i mean like just his reveal alone which is Whoa, take it easy, sweetheart. Like, just like, yeah. you know, you're like, he that's hits not the nail on the head. Oh, hey, whoa, we can't take it easy, sweetheart. He ain't looking for me. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah no, it's, oh, yeah. It's, it's great. It's fantastic. But, you know, it's like, uh, as we're watching these things, um, as we're watching this with like Colin Farrell's uh, casting, the casting all around for this movie was, I think, spectacular. Mm-hmm. What, I, what I think was actually interesting in regards to. The Penguin, like in live action movies, the first time we saw the Penguin, well, not the first time I saw the Penguin was with Michelle Pfeiffer in the movie, and he was very much like a villain in his own right. But I actually yeah. think this, uh, the Batman, does something similar to the to what they did on the TV series Gotham, where Penguin mm. actually has a boss above him, yeah. and part yeah. of Penguin's struggle is. He wants to be the biggest mobster in town, but there's always someone better than him above him that he's trying to get people from and take advantage of power vacuums. Yeah. And they took the penguin from that angle. They they did it in a very they did it very, very interesting in Gotham. And the actor was definitely done to be a lot prettier. (laughs) Oh, what I was gonna say though, with uh my expectations about the next Batman movie from Matt Reeves. So the big one movie that's coming out uh, just got announced that it'll be TVMA. TVMA. So the television equivalent of an R rating is now for the Batman spinoff movie, spinoff series. So my biggest hope is basically that they're going to let Matt Reeves go R rated with Batman 2. Yeah, right. If you already have Brave and the Bold coming out for the PG-13 MCU type demographic, let us have an R rated Batman. Like blood on his gloves as he's punching someone? Yeah, that's all I need. Use the R yeah, rating yeah, yeah. just to have it be that I can, I can see a blood-covered Batman p- uh, punching somebody. It's like the yeah. Logan of Batman. A hundred percent. Yes. Yes. That's exactly yeah. what I want. I want a Batman movie that starts off uh, with him waking up from a hangover, just being like, whatever, just, you know, not killing five people because he's Batman. You know, he's Batman, but, you know, breaking all their bones. And they start the movie off that way. Boom. We know full well what movie we're in for here. <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, definitely could go that way. I, I feel like though, where they've where they've pushed Batman is like, okay, he was in his angry stage and his confused stage, and I'm just like, I'm not sure. So like, you know, the weight of which he's pounding on people is still heavy. Whereas like, I think now he's sort of like, okay, now I can bring the city some hope. 
So I don't think he's got as much anger in him as he has in this movie, potentially right. depending on how they drive the story of who they get involved, who they who you know who they right, attack. Maybe it's a fight that he really needs to beat the living crap out of the person. You know, maybe they yeah. stole an old lady's purse and he has to break their bones, all of them. Put her cat up a tree. <laughs> but yeah, they threw a, threw a cat up the tree. You got to rip off his arm. Like that's this is Batman. Now this is Batman one hundred and one. <laughs> You know, blowing <laughs> blowing everyone up with his car. <laughs> like, which, by the way, uh, that was the best Batman re- B- Batmobile reveal ever. Oh like, just my god, was it? Out and like, it's a Batmobile in the background. Here's a giant engine. Here's some parts, and then just that build up of just like the the whir, god. and just like it, just like sequencing all the different aspects, and just Whoa. lights on, engine on. Holy crap! This is gonna be awesome. Like that was the best buildup ever. It really was. It just uh, it, like it, it reminded me of like uh, like a bull like just getting roughed up and re- like a bull getting riled up and ready to go kind of thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and yeah. yeah like, just everyone the way was just was... like, "What the hell is this thing?" <laughs> oh, oh it was, such yeah, a good amazing. Batmobile too. I loved how just in pro in progress everything was in this movie. Still, you know what I mean. Yeah, like yeah, he yeah, can yeah. do the uh, he can do the squirrel suit thing to jump off the building, but he can't quite land yet. You know, no. like I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just oh, completely botched so it. much. Yeah, but it, it adds so much to a movie like this, so it actually show the vulnerability of what they're trying to do and what their levels are at this point. And there's gaps in his suit, and his technology isn't quite there. Like that, yeah, it makes it if if you've just got everything handed to you on a silver platter. Yeah, that's a great power fantasy if it's a video game you're playing yourself. But from the point of view of a story, you want the protagonist to struggle. Like, when Oh, yeah. The yeah, mo- yeah. I'm very engaged in stories with underdogs because it's like, how do I do this with a paper clip, a rubber band, and a piece of gum? You got it, McGavin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's what I do love about this. You know, you get halfway through the fight at the end, and it's just the the aspect of they're really putting you into the middle of this world that already exists. You already understand that Gordon and him have a relationship, and that the police mm. don't like it, and you understand that he seems to get to go to crime scenes. And in the middle in the middle of a fight, he pulls out, "Oh, what's that? Venom, the stuff that made freaking Bane go crazy." Like they, he just has that in his leg, ready to go. So, what fight has he had in the past? That led him to realize, okay, I need some of this green shit I found that can make the uh, people go strong and use that for adrenaline in the future. You know what I mean? I love that about this movie that they don't feel the need to explain all this, or like, yeah, yeah, how, uh, or like how you have the Joker in the end there with uh, Riddler, and there's even a deleted scene where he interrogates the Joker for information. But just the idea that the Joker has already fully existed in this world and dealt with Batman before. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I love that, and you just. So many movies are afraid to do that, and I love that when they did this, they took the uh, the approach they took to Tom Holland Spider Man and just said, "You know what? You guys have seen it enough. You know the story. Let's move on." Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's true. Like, I mean, Batman's been around for what eighty years now. We know the character. Yeah, I we know his backstory. I think longer than that at this point, actually. Yeah. Wait, what was yeah. he afraid of again? Dogs. Batman Dogs? famously afraid of <laughs> flour, not. <laughs> flour in a field, mind you, cooking flour. That's why they call him <laughs> Batman. No need to explain. <laughs> but I mean, that's just it. We all get it. We all get it. Rich guy's parents die. He turns into a bat hero. Like we all know the story. I love that we're at this point now where people can start accepting that. And we can just move on with these things and not watch, 
you know, Uncle Ben die for the third time and not watch <laughs> Bruce Wayne's parents get shot and, uh, and the pearls uh, get go shot flying. And, and pearls flying Kayla, everywhere. You have, a, you, have a, you have an opinion about that. I believe she does. Yes, I believe. I have a very strong opinion about that. I understand which graphic novel the shot came from, and it's a very lovely and dramatic image that gets the story point across. However, as a costumer, I know that a real pearl necklace would be individually strung, and it would not fall like that unless it was a fake necklace. So Thomas Wayne is a cheap ass, and he can't even buy his wife a real necklace. <laughs> okay, but like, here's the thought. How do we not know that he doesn't have like a dummy necklace he has her wear when they go out? Because they're like going to a place literally right by Crime Alley. Are we not certain that he didn't just give her the dummy necklace to wear that looks if nice? If he has this much money, why didn't he just get his driver to meet them by the front instead of... Because they wanted to take a walk home, Kayla. Through Crime Alley <laughs> with their young son. <laughs> These are Their son yeah. is Batman. He knows how to deal with crime, Kayla. Not yet. <laughs> well, he will be soon. <laughs> But I mean, like, that was why it was hilarious, because, like, anytime I've watched a Batman movie with Kayla, um, it's always the same thing. So, like, I went to go see Joker, right? And when we saw Joker, they got the scene with Tom and Martha Wayne, and we saw it at the theater. And, you know, it's like, in a movie that has nothing to do with Bruce Wayne himself, they still have to show the scene with the pearls. And as it goes happens, I he shoots Tom and Martha Wayne, and I thought, oh, they're not going to do the pearls. And he quickly grabs the pearls from her in the movie Joker, and I looked at Kayla in the theater as all the pearls burst onto the ground once again and just washed her face. <laughs> Fast forward another time, we're watching an animated Batman movie, an animated movie, and guess what? <laughs> Even there in goes animation, the pearls. the pearls go flying everywhere, and I gotta say, I can't unsee this now, because now I know what she's <laughs> talking about this whole time, and I've lived with this woman for three years, so I know full well how what this means to her, and I gotta tell you, I'm on her side now. I, this is an official declaration. I'm on her side with this whole pearl thing. Yeah. Thank yep. you. No. That's what makes a relationship strong, just enabling everyone's <laughs> little niche prejudices that have no like bearing on actual life. Enabling with zero negative feedback is the key to a healthy relationship. Just, just yeah, any problems, just hide it down and have a nice, healthy relationship like Tom and Martha Wayne before they got shot and killed. It wasn't very healthy after. At least they weren't. Or maybe the moral is, if you're going to buy yourself, a, but buy your wife a nice necklace, get a real one. I mean, yeah. they'd probably be alive if he did. <laughs> <laughs> What's it? Uh, yeah, George Hill would have just been like, oh, yeah, no, the, the necklace didn't break dramatically. I guess I missed my entrance. I should turn around and leave now. Oh man, that's another thing, dude. Joe Chill, what a name to be such an iconic villain or iconic person in the history of Batman lore. You named him Joe Chill, which was like, wasn't that the name that they called Snoopy on like like edgy clothing in the nineties? Oh, it was Joe Cool. That's what that was. Not Joe Cool. Joe yeah, Cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I gotta say though, the Batman I found it had a commentary on classism that I don't think you really see commentaries at this level in a lot of comic book movies in general nowadays. Like. I, this, I I truly can't stress this enough. In the same way that I talk about Logan, uh, in the same way that I talk about, uh, we talked about a Goofy movie on another episode, this didn't necessarily have to be a Batman movie. This could have been a movie about a lone detective or cop decided to take down a criminal gang, which we've seen plenty yeah. of, right? Yeah. Harrison, people know, there was those, those sorts of like Harrison Ford, Harrison Ford 80s type movies, right? But it's like, I, I don't know if he's ever been in a movie just like that, but you know, Loose Cannon Caught the Edge, Mel Gibson. But uh, 
what Which I love taxi about driver, this is that, right? Yeah, taxi driver. Even better, even better one to bring up. Like that's exactly what this is. This this was a movie about a person. It didn't have to be Batman. It was a person helping another person in a situation because it could help him in taking down a bigger entity. These are the stories you see a lot. This was, uh, you know, this is every detective movie you've seen. This is the nice guys, but not a comedy. You know, yeah. it's uh, anyway, I, I love that about it. I love that they focused on making first exactly what we said a proper detective mystery script before yep. figuring out how it was a batman script it yeah. felt like yeah, a yeah. noir yeah exactly it felt like an old noir like the city felt like a noir yeah right yeah, down 100%. to uh the love interest uh not telling him that she's the daughter of falcone exactly yeah <laughs> which was a great I'm... great twist and play on the on the characters too oh yeah absolutely i mean selena kind of wasn't falcone's daughter in the comics either i don't think like this in no. some in one of the movies she was i they say i don't know if it was gotham by gaslight or if there was i know i i know there was yeah. one where she was one movie where she was his daughter like one yeah. iteration of her backstory that was yeah uh, yeah now i'm kind of curious about i want to see what happens to the riddler yeah. they're doing that new arkham series coming out i thought paul dono was masterful in this movie I, I mm. loved Robert Pattinson, but Paul Dotto got under my skin in ways uh, that I haven't really felt since he since Heath Ledger, quite honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's good. You know, he's fantastic. Like, uh, there's a lot of um, like I mean, from day one, Matt Reeves is talking about he wanted this to be a David Fincher type thriller. I mean, the 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 parallels to Seven and Zodiac are obvious, 100 percent obvious. We actually just watched uh, Seven somewhat recently. Uh, holds up amazingly, by oh, yeah. the way. Um, don't know the yeah. last time you may have watched it, but. I mean, I know, I know you're a big David Fincher fan, so I kind of felt like for yourself, this is, uh, you know, the influence must have been something wonderful, right? Like, for the people listening, I can't stress this enough. James here is not just a Fincher fan. He's a Batman fan to the point where he has a signed, Kev- he has a signed Batman statue by the late, great Kevin Conroy. Yeah, yep. Went and saw him at uh, the Vancouver Con there. And that was, yeah. oh, man, like, just to, just to experience your childhood in... You know, <laughs> in front of you, and and he like the minute he arrived, he just got up on stage. I, I remember am, that. You know, I am vengeance. I am the night. I am Batman, and you know, you know, the audience just goes crazy, and he's like, ah, I was again. with you when that happened. Actually, I was in the lineup right. with you, and then because he just got a set up right in his booth, yelled that out, and everyone went crazy because that's the voice, man. That was him, and that was the voice saying the line right there. This is Kevin freaking Conroy, and this is real, like. Getting your yeah. uh, getting your statuette signed is really cool, though. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm still yeah. waiting on it to come from back from Vancouver, so hopefully that stuff gets on its way soon. But this guy <laughs> flew out of Vancouver story. like two and a half months ago, and he still hasn't gotten his stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a it's a long trek, and they don't seem to send much stuff out this way. So, so uh, uh, do prisoners. you know anything about the uh, do you know anything about the technical aspects of what Dave, Greg Fraser went through in this? I figure that was probably something you looked into by now. Um, I, I think I initially looked at a lot of the behind the scenes uh, when it first came out. I haven't didn't get a chance just to re-review uh, a lot of the things, but you know, most of it was just the way they I think used the volume tech to sort of help you know be able to control their their scenes, you know, particularly the rooftop scene to. Yeah. To go and rent a rooftop in a city and then have control over it for the lighting, I think is the the best thing that you can do with the volume. It's just like, okay, we're going to spend a whole day shooting this scene, getting it right. We don't have to worry about the sun going down on us. 
and losing the light yeah, because yeah. we can just place it exactly where we want it. Um, yeah. And then I think, you know, when they shot the uh, actual uh, uh, the truck driving sequence, that was an air, airfield that they, they were able to have full control of so they didn't have to worry about a highway. And the, just the way they hid, I guess, everything else just in the rain yeah. I think helped just sell the fact. And then, and it, you know, like, it was also the way they shot it. Everything was like, there was a lot of first person perspective. So it was very immersive. You felt like you were that character. You felt like you were the Batman. You felt like you were the penguin in that moment where he's upside down. All of that. That was a very yeah. immersive way of shooting. And, you know, it, uh, it, it made you feel um, more than it did sort of having that outside perspective. But also was able to limit some of the scope of what they needed to shoot because it's like, okay, well, we're just going to focus on looking at and walking at us or we don't have to worry about getting this wide or shooting all these other coverages you just hold that position hold that shot and it's just like yeah you feel the weight of it you feel the intensity of it you're like holy crap he's coming for me because yeah. i'm that character yeah i think you know a lot of the way they just they shot those things is is very purposeful and, and gave you that that sense of i'm a part of this not just well, a, a viewer recently oh sorry what they made you understand why Batman was scary to criminals because mm. other movies, like you watch it from the perspective of Batman, like these are bad guys and yeah. you're almost like cheering it on. Whereas this, when you're giving the perspective of being the person Batman's coming for, you get a new understanding for how terrifying he is to them. Oh my God. The, yeah. the whole scene where the uh, bat signal was up in the air and his whole monologue yeah. about like signal, the signal or the symbol of what it means and. That thing goes up in the air, and you like you may as well be doing an air raid siren for half these criminals. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It, they're just running into the shadows. The moment it comes up, thinking it might be them, and the power that shows, and the level of, you know, it so, does so much more than just like, well, how did that happen? Because he's Batman. You know what I mean? There's so much more than that. It, it brings it brings it all together. Just how much of an effect this guy's made the small amount of time that he's had with this, and I love yeah. that. Um, yeah. I was thinking about what you were saying about the volume tech and how that it didn't limit to anything. I had a conversation recently with uh, with a colleague about the volume, and uh, if I'm being 100 percent honest, I, I think he was a little misguided on the use of the technology a little bit. And right. he was talking about how he's like, "Oh, the volume tech's amazing because uh, the director has never had more control of the image." And I wrote them I was like, "I think you're greatly reducing how much work it takes in your mind to operate these things and create these scenes." It's like, no, 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 mm. Kevin, you don't understand. Now the directors have more power than ever because if the director says, I want uh, Fireblaze right there, I want this over here, boom, you can just put it in, no issues whatsoever. And it's like, if this is not just the exact language of people who don't understand the complication behind the Unreal system, yeah. this is like, these people think it's just, the technology's existed for like, a ha for like a handful of years in the grand scheme of things. And they think that we could just, that people can just point and click entire sets. But this is the mindset this guy had thinking without any understanding of the technology or what goes behind it or people like myself do video for work to understand what comes with it to light it properly they just figure oh now there's a giant screen and i can just take my ipad and click this 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 and now i have the whole set that i have in my dream which when you think about it's kind of the mindset that goes behind ai imagery when people type things in to get the pictures but that seems to be the mindset this guy had to the volume and i mean like I mean, you you worked with Unreal more than enough. I'm sure you understand that that is far from the truth. Exactly. Like, um, I was actually on Percy Jackson um, before I left, and and I was actually chatting with the the ILM team that were working on that. And it's a it's a team of twelve people, 
each person dedicated to a, a certain aspect of what it takes to run that. You've got right. somebody doing tracking, um, and they're just monitoring just that all the capture points or the, all the tracking points of the the camera, um, the you know the, the volume area which they're working at are being tracked correctly. And so all they see is these little white dots on their screen from all the sensors. Then you've got oh someone dedicated to you know what's actually being played back on there. But then you've got somebody that's ma ma managing the lighting. You got somebody managing you know the assets, yeah. all that sort of and stuff. And this isn't so, even yeah. before we this isn't even before we start talking about the hardware people involved. Exactly. Yeah. And then you've like got the, somebody yeah, like running your cable IT monkeys and, and your your LED people and like yeah, all the grips and yeah. techs that actually build the screen. You know, like. Yeah, it's it's a huge effort, and you can see why it's yeah. so expensive as well. I mean, it's it's a great tool, but it's also it comes at a cost. So you you can see where certain productions will go. Huh. Yeah, we want to use it. Oh, we, but we haven't got the budget for it. But yeah. um, more than more that, it's like experience yeah, to work with it. It's yeah, it's it's you know knowing how to use it, you know. But um, it, it the I think the advantage is that you know the director. Uh, that this guy probably was was looking at is like yeah the director has more power because he can see it all in camera real time which is which is the beauty of the tech but it's that all is true comes into pre-production you know it really speeds yeah it doesn't up. mean that you spend more more time in pre-production than you do in post with that so it's yeah. like okay this is what we're going to shoot let's build all these assets that are now maneuverable within the scene so it's like if you've yeah if you've done enough pre-production and you've been given the time then yeah, you have your your VisualFX team build that before you even go to camera. So then you've got it all, and then you can see it all. And say, like, actually, you know what? That tree didn't work. Can we move that out of there, or can we change the yeah. the timing? Yeah, um, but he, this is the guy thinking that you could just uh, play it like a puzzle piece or a game of Minecraft on the fly or something like that. He thinks that's what get power. He thinks that's the power it gives directors is gives them a whole sandbox to play with. And that's not the case. Like if I'm directing a project on the, on the volume, if I'm being 100% honest, when it comes to the actual set behind, like the set in the volume, I don't believe as a director, I have the the amount of time and attention it takes to focus on that. You have a team for that. That's set construction, been the digital sense of things, right? Like, mm, yeah. that's kind of, that's kind of how I feel about it. But that's, that's all other discussion. But that's just like the, <laughs> the, the complication behind the volume technology, you know, it does comes with its ups and downs. Like, you have people like yeah. Francis Ford Coppola, arguably one of the greatest directors in American history, who just uh, ended up, apparently, th this is not verified, mind you, apparently he switched from volume back to green screen midway through production, because uh, wow. him and his cinematographer, for his newest movie, Megalopolis, because him and his cinematographer did not know how to use the uh, volume. Yeah, 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 yeah. They didn't know how to get the shots they wanted out of it. Everything was a video screen behind them. And as somebody who's a playback operator, you have been doing play video playback for a long time. When we have people saying... Uh, you know, if they want us to even change a graphic and give us a 30 minute turnaround, that could be an issue sometimes, let alone, hey, can you change the entire set? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. it's interesting to see what people are doing with the volume tech and how they are using it. And you can see when they like, they're lim you can see how they're like limited in, in what they're trying to achieve with it as well. I think one of the most interesting uses of it was, um, oh man, I'm completely blank on the show um but it was on netflix um it was the creators of dark about the guys on the ship um there was just okay. a one season that didn't make it show? didn't get the audience it got canceled i can't remember what it was called but anyway right now um but the way yeah. they used the volume tech is like within the show uh, these characters were trying to figure out why all these people were disappearing and dying but they'd get, find all these vents in um in these 
ships and they'd go down, 1800, that's the name of the show, they'd go down to the, um, through these tunnels and end up coming out of like, what I know is an actual panel missing from a volume tech and they'd come out of it. So it looks like they're literally coming out of this portal in the middle of nowhere type thing and they end up in this open landscape that's within contained within the ship um and so you can see that's just a, a creative way of using the volume tech to deliver the story um but you could also then see shot wise that you know this person's going to go off to this house that's way deep in the background and so they just start walking and you can see okay they're limited in the shot they can't go anywhere else so then and then they cut yeah. straight to the them knocking on the door of the house type thing um, yeah, but it's just an interesting way that they can use it. But I think, yeah, um, the, the power of the tech is still really being explored and they're still developing how to use the tech, uh, best. Um, but it certainly does speed up, um, production's workflow when it comes to shooting in camera and the quality that, that you get in the, in finalization. If done properly. If done properly. Yeah. I'm not, yeah. again, I'm not going to name names, but there's definitely, uh, shows out there that have not done it properly. But, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 and it's it's distractingly noticeable at times. Right. Um, yeah. However, that being said, James, uh, that's our time, and thank you so much for joining us here. I know it's probably morning in Australia for you right now. Yeah, it's uh, coming up on uh, yeah twelve o'clock, so it's coming oh, up on lunchtime. Yeah, nice coming up on dinner for us. <laughs> nice, <laughs> uh, James. If there's any, is there anything you'd like to uh, say? Ah, no, thanks for having me uh, it's been great catching up with you guys and, and doing what we do best and talking movies yeah absolutely uh, if anybody wants to buy Blu-ray of our, today's movie The Batman it is uh, available via our link below um, if you want to check out any of James' work look up Shutter Thunder on Vimeo and YouTube if you want to see our movie on Amazon Girl Gone Bad James here was DOP and editor I was writer-director Kill's Costumes and all of it was awesome 